Hi, everyone. It's Kimberly Austin. Welcome to another episode of Rockbook Show. We're very pleased to welcome this episode's guest, Christine Feldman Barrett, author of A Women's History of the Beatles. Now, there are plenty of great books about the Beatles and their storied history, but A Women's History of the Beatles is the first to deeply examine the band's influence and impact on culture through the experience and lives of women, as well as profiling women key to the trajectory of the band's massive success. We started our conversation with Christine with a reference to the Liverbirds, the female foursome early counterparts to the Beatles, who made the same trek from Merseyside to Hamburg but sadly did not see the same breakout success as the Fab Four. So let's jump right in. So nice to have you here, Christine. Thank you so much for being here. I know we're in very different time zones. So when you took on this project, as I was reading through the book, would you say that the seeing the Liverbirds was really the start of this? I know you kind of had the germ of an idea as well, but did that really become the jumping off point? Well, I guess because as a girl, a teenager, a young woman, I've always been so involved in music and interested in music. And it really does go back to being a child and hearing the Beatles for the first time. So even though I got into post-punk and indie rock later, the Beatles really was the genesis for everything that came after that. So as a young woman involved in music scenes and things like that, and had played in an all-girl band, I didn't realize that there was this history of a band like the Liverbirds who had been at the Cavern and were these young women who loved the Beatles and thought, yeah, we'd like to do that. So when I came across this documentary in Germany, when I was visiting relatives there over the summer, and this was in 2002, I just was blown away. First of all, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard this story before. And then I had to ask why, why haven't I heard this story before? Because there's so much that's written and talked about in terms of the Beatles, that it seemed very surprising to me that this was kind of a lost history, if you will, at that point, or it was buried at least. And it did get me thinking about women's roles in Beatles history quite a bit more. But it wasn't until much later that I got going with the project. And so how did that start? And so you start with um, just research and starting on your own with a, you know, with you got the liver birds jumping off point now, but, and you know, you've got the yes. wives and girlfriends of the Beatles, but then mm-hmm. how does it all start to come together? Right. I mean, it was a lengthy process. Uh, the fandom that I experienced around the Beatles was very much something to do with my relationship with my older sister. And oh. so in 2005, yeah, it was a very important part of our growing up. She's five years older, and it was a way that we really bonded, even despite that age difference. And in 2005, we had both read a Beatles biography. And she said, you know what, maybe we should write a, bu- a book about the Beatles at some point. Well, at, you know, a while later, it turned out that my sister decided, well, maybe just you should write about it. Because <laughs> I had, you know, she's a really excellent writer, yeah. but I had begun my PhD, or actually I was already in a PhD program in 2005 when we had that conversation, but I was so busy with my dissertation that I really didn't have time to take on such a huge project on top of that. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't get revisited until about 2013 when I started working here at the university in Brisbane. And 
the research per se didn't happen until several years later in 2016, where I went to London and Liverpool and started doing some interviews. I went to the British Library. I went to the Liverpool Public Library. I did as much archival research and interviews as I could while I was over there. And then the writing of it didn't begin until early 2019, um, February 2019. And then I had to deliver the manuscript in July 2020. Wow. So there was a lot of research before the actual writing took place, which is not unusual. And as I started writing it, it just flowed, you know, mm. it was, I could see how the narratives could kind of fit together, both chronologically, but also topically. And that's what you have now in the form of the book, which, as you could see, it covers a lot of different aspects of women in the Beatles story. Yeah, it really does. Um, do you like to do the research? I love it. I love it. That yeah. is, I would love yeah, that part too. I think that's why I became an academic because I just absolutely love research and I love the writing as well. Um, but yeah, the research, I could just get lost for days, you know, going down different rabbit holes and finding all these amazing bits of information. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm the same. I love that stuff and I can get very lost as well. <laughs> Maybe I'll become a research <laughs> assistant in another life because um, I won't be a writer. I can tell you that I'm terrible at writing, but I admire you so much um, to have that skill. It's just, it's incredible. The, um, as you, as you, again, you were pulling all these threads. Now you've got to whittle all this down and, and the narrative that you did construct is, is really amazing because there is so much, so much to get through. So how did you then craft this narrative and whittle that all down? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I realized since I wanted to create a cultural history, it did have to be chronological to a certain extent. And so even though the chapters are topical, the first chapter does, of course, start with the Beatles in Liverpool. So the very genesis of the band and even a little bit before they start playing. But I love the stories from early on in Liverpool, how they were part of this music scene that was really led in many respects by the young women and the young women who started frequenting their shows, not just at the Cavern, which is the most famous place that they played and they played their over 200 times, you know, between 1961 and wow. 63. But the way that the, the young women in Liverpool who became their earliest fans would follow them all around Merseyside, so the whole region. And they were just so dedicated to supporting this band. And certainly there were others within the Mersey Beat music scene, but the Beatles were so charismatic and they were so friendly also with their fans. They really did communicate with those young women who were so dedicated to them. They would want to get to know them. And that was part of cultivating that relationship and that dynamic between young women and the Beatles that really follows through the whole career of the band. That was really interesting to me because I also like how that tied in. Um, there was a quote in the book about how the 50s were this era of femininity and the 70s is when we really kind of started to become feminist and what was happening in the 60s. And these gals with the Beatles were really one of those big jumping off points of independence and women 
having their own voice. Yes. And I think it was because the Beatles themselves, as young men who were embracing all these different influences from, you know, American girl groups, from uh, the sort of continental artsy European youth culture that was brewing away in places like France and Germany, et cetera, they were taking all these influences and really creating these unique identities for themselves. The Beatles had a very distinct presence and voice. And I think that empowered young women who, you know, certainly there were actresses and um, women singers who were in the entertainment field that they could look to as Mm -hmm. role models. But the Beatles were so unique and so individual and really showed who they were as performers, as people, that that was such an important role model for young women in the 60s to have. If the Beatles could be themselves... I can be myself too, whatever that means in terms of how I look, how I interact with people, my sense of humor. Um, If I want to play music, whatever I want to do in life, I can, I can model that to my liking. You know, I don't have to pander to other people. And I think young women, especially in the sixties and before, it's always that idea of If you're a young woman, aspire to being a wife and mother and maybe something else, but, you know, maybe not, (laughs) you know, you have these sort of set roles of what you can think about in terms of your future, but the Beatles just cracked that wide open and young women really responded to it so intensely, obviously, because they, the Beatles represented a kind of freedom that young women hadn't really seen before, especially when we get into Beatlemania and the Beatles are hugely successful in many parts of the world. It becomes a global phenomenon. And wow, you know, no wonder there's such an emphatic response. They represent so many good things. I know, I, and I really never thought of it that way. And that's another reason why I love a book like this, where you take the, the female perspective of this history, because it really does change how you look at some, uh, something that you thought about. It's, you know, it's been around for 60 years and now you're like, oh my gosh, right. That's, that was happening and right before my eyes. And I never even thought of it and how that also uh, continue to play out throughout history and how decades have changed with femininity and feminism. And I thought it was also interesting about when Sergeant Peppers came out and how that again changed everything. Yes, that's right. Even though there had been some music critics very early on in the Beatles career who had championed the Beatles as early as 1963, it's only with Sergeant Pepper that the Beatles are codified as these geniuses. And the album is this, you know, tremendous work of art and the Beatles are taken seriously by emergent rock music critics who are primarily men. And so you see the shift in quote unquote ownership of the Beatles as a phenomenon where young women are kind of pushed to the side in the, the narrative and the history of the Beatles as a band through the 60s. But of course, the young women were always there. They're there right to the end and beyond. We see the legacy of Beatles fandom as one where women are really involved and really want to keep the legacy and 
and, you know, memory of the Beatles alive. But there is that shift where the dominant voices representing the Beatles or talking about the Beatles become male voices starting around 1967, 1968. Yeah, that's amazing. Now we are talking, we were going to talk about a couple of the women because there's so many amazing females and mentioned in this book, we couldn't get to all of them. So I thought we'll pick, we'll pick one each. And I wanted to talk about Astrid Kirscher because um, for anyone who doesn't know, she was the um, girlfriend of Stuart Sutcliffe, the original bassist for the Beatles. And she was in Hamburg. And when the Beatles went there, she photographed them and also styled them. And um, But I love how she's not only referred to as the photographer, but the documentarian, the early documentarian of the Beatles. And I'd love to hear more about her from you because you you are the expert on this. Sure. I mean, Astrid is the female figure in the Beatles history that has always been the most intriguing to me personally. And it is because she saw something in the Beatles so early on, much before they became famous, much before they became who they were as this massive global phenomenon, she recognized something special about them, something charismatic, something that she wanted to capture on film. She was able to, because she was studying photography, she was working as a photographer's assistant. She had that to offer them. You know, I, I can take photos of you. That was her way in to get to know them. And for me, she really symbolizes or epitomizes that relationship, that very dynamic relationship between women and the Beatles, that women were the early adopters of the Beatles. And she, she does sort of encapsulate that in many ways. She recognizes their uniqueness. She recognizes their talent. She knows that there's something special and she doesn't need permission to do what she does in terms of interacting with them, in terms of taking their photographs. So she's a documentarian. She's an early adopter. She's an early fan. And she's also influencing uh, the Beatles to think about the world in new ways. She's artistic, she's intellectual. She introduces them to things like classical music, jazz, her whole world that she had going on as this bohemian artistic woman in Hamburg. So her influence is really incredible in terms of the Beatles' early history and who they end up becoming, how they look, how they dress, how they wear their hair. So Astrid is a hugely important figure in Beatles history. And it was also interesting how they were fascinated by her middle-class lifestyle. Yes, yes, yes. So not only is she- They did not grow up that way. Right. So not only is she this German woman, you know, she's basically their first female fan outside of Liverpool, right? Outside of England. Uh, but she also comes from this different background. And they are fascinated with what that means, you know, that she has a sports car, that she's driving around the city, um, the way that she and her mother interact, you know, and at, when the Beatles visit her at home and get to know her mother. Um, like I said before, you know, the fact that rock and roll wasn't maybe her first choice of music, you know, when she'd be listening to music mm -hmm. at home, it would be 
what was then maybe considered a bit more highbrow music, classical and jazz. So yeah, she is presenting this whole different way of living and seeing the world that the Beatles are really just fascinated by. Yeah. Yeah. And when you mentioned the mothers, it made me again think how the bonding between John and Paul over their mothers and their aunt and those influences in their lives as well, how strong those were. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The influence of, I think, all the Beatles' mothers on them says a lot in terms of how they interact with other women in their orbit. So not just the people they end up dating or and or marrying, but even just all the fans and and Ostrid being a friend to the the four main Beatles, right? She was romantically involved with Stu Sutcliffe, but she ended up staying friends with all of them. I believe especially George Harrison, but she was, you know, she really bonded with all of them um, initially in Hamburg. And speaking of mothers, I think I really want to make sure to mention Mona Best, if that's all right. Sure. Because Mona Best is a figure in women in um, the history of the Beatles, who I think maybe a lot of people haven't heard of before. So for those listening who don't know that Ringo was not the Beatles' first drummer, uh, it was actually Pete Best, who was their first drummer. And Mona Best is Pete's mother, and she was very instrumental in promoting the Beatles early on through her club, the Casbah Club, which was in a suburb of Liverpool. She opened it in late August 1959, and before they were the Beatles, the Quarrymen was the first band to play. So they played opening night and became regular uh, you know, the regular band, the house band there. And then also when they went to Hamburg for the first time, they actually didn't have a regular drummer. And so Mona recommended Pete go with them to Hamburg to drum for oh them. My gosh. And she, I think this is really an important point also, is that she was the one who initially got them their first gig at the Cavern in 1961. Wow. It was mainly a jazz club. The owner of the cavern at the time, Ray McFall, was only booking jazz acts. He didn't really want rock and roll bands or skiffle bands or what have you playing there. And she convinced him to give the Beatles a chance. So she's also, in my estimation, a very important figure in this history. That's amazing. And, you know, you had a poll this weekend on Twitter, which was so cool to watch it grow. It, it's up over 500 responses where you asked where who would folks like to hear more about? And I not only were people just writing names, but then little stories about why they wanted to hear them. And it's so with now, so with A, does this inspire you to write more? But um, B, I'm curious who who you who might have surprised you that folks really were um, clamoring to hear more about. Well, it's interesting. There were a lot of mentions of Mona Best and people would say things like, I wish someone would create or produce a biopic about her because her story is so interesting. A lot of Mm -hmm. people did mention Ostrid. A lot of people mentioned Yoko and Patty Boyd, Cynthia Lennon. Um, It was funny because some people started mentioning the characters out of songs like lovely Rita or Lady Madonna, Eleanor Rigby. So 
it, it just shows you that the way the Beatles related with women or wanted to include women into even their lyrical world, it's, it's so powerful, isn't it? It's, there's that yeah. relationship that's so strong that these people on Twitter were picking up on that. So I guess I was maybe a little bit surprised to see them mention the, the characters and the songs, but not really as well. It, mm. It's not totally surprising that they would pick up on that. But yeah, there were so many different responses. I mean, even talking about Prudence Pharaoh, who inspired Dear Prudence. And uh, I thought one was particularly funny where they showed the image of the Beatles about to cross Abbey Road and have their photo yes. taken. And there's uh, an older woman who's there and somebody asked, who is this woman? What is she doing? Somebody suggested maybe she was their makeup person. We don't know, right? So yeah. given all the visual information that we get through social media now and all the photos that emerge from Beatles history, there are those kinds of images that crop up where we see these mystery women, if you will. And mm -hmm. so there were some comments like that that also cropped up. That struck me too, that photo. I'm like, well, Paul's still alive and let's get him to answer this question <laughs> because that would be amazing. The, um, but it just shows, doesn't it, how there is this, the audience to, that really wants to know more about these women that were influential in the Beatles' life beyond the wives' stories and the girlfriends and, you know, the Yoko stories. There's a real depth to the information that people want to know. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were asking before, does this inspire me to write more or to investigate more? Yes. It certainly does. I was joking oh, around good. with somebody in that thread saying, oh, are you suggesting I should write a volume too of the book? And <laughs> I, I think we are. I'm just so bowled over, really. I'm so happy to see such a positive response to the book and to the topic because of course, having decided to write or research and write this book, it's something that has fascinated me and interests me for a really long time. So yeah, I'm just really happy to see that others want to know more, or that they're interested in this topic as well. And if anyone thinks that this is, you know, dated information, we can look to Billie Eilish who could arguably be one of the biggest female singers and uh, performers of, of this moment. And her very first song she sang at a talent show was a Beatles song. That's right. And in the chapter of the book that focuses on women musicians, it was important for me not to just stop with the 1960s, right? Because of course, there would be bands like the Liverbirds or the Pleasure Seekers or the Swedish band I discovered, the Nursery Rhymes, and they all got their start because of the Beatles. But bands through the 1980s, uh, women singer-songwriters from the 70s and beyond, they've all found, a lot of them anyway, have found this real resonance with the Beatles, with their songs, with the way they were songwriters, Lennon and McCartney and Harrison too. There's, there's just so much inspiration that's trickled down through the years to the present moment where we do see someone like Billie Eilish who was born in, the, in this century, right? <laughs> 
Uh, so that she is still thinking, yeah, there's something to the Beatles that I can take away, you know, that I can refashion some of their songs in my way. Uh, they're still hugely important songs. The band is hugely important. And so that influence lives on into the 21st century. And it's wonderful to see, isn't it? To see that relationship. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we mentioned your Twitter. So you're on Twitter. Where else can we find you? Well, that is the main place I would say to find me nice. uh, is at Feldman Barrett on Twitter. Um, yeah, I would say that's the main social media platform to find me. And I do have a web page linked to my university. And I'm on LinkedIn and things like that as well. Wonderful. So if you aren't starting volume two yet, is there anything else you're working on that we should know about? I am working co-editing a book on the history of record stores. Oh, so that wow. is really quite exciting. And I'm contributing a chapter to that as well. And yeah, there, the whole, you know, popular music, youth culture history angle is really where I'm at in terms of my scholarship. The Beatles story is incredible in that way, looking at how young people were so involved with that music phenomenon. But I also look at other aspects of that. So this record store history book is, is definitely in my wheelhouse also. <laughs> That's so great. Does it have a title yet or? It's a rather long one. And I don't have it in front okay. of me, <laughs> but it will be out. Um, we'll forgive you. It will be out um, next year sometime. Great. Well, we'll get that information. We'll put it in the show notes or something for everybody. So we'll have it. Um, but that's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to, wait to read more of your work. And if you want to do volume two, we'll be here for you. So I would love to read that as well. Your book is called A Women's History of the Beatles. It is a fantastic journey, not only of the musical history and how the music influenced other uh, women, but how the Beatles helped influence feminism and women coming into their own. And I just, I just loved how you tied all these things together and gave us a new perspective, because this really is one of the only books on a women's history of the Beatles. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Kimberly. It's been great to talk with you about it. And I would also love to see more women writing about the Beatles in terms of more books coming out. They're definitely great scholars writing about the Beatles. But yes, I would like to see more and more and more um, because there is so much to explore. There's so much to um, look at within the Beatles story. I agree. And I can't wait to read them. And if you write it, please let us know because we'd love to talk about it some more. So thank you so much, Christine. It was a pleasure. I wish we could do this for a longer time because there is so much to explore in your book. Please, everyone get a copy of A Women's History of the Beatles. You'll, you'll love every minute of it. And I am sure you're going to learn something new as well. Thanks again, Christine. Thanks, Kimberly. So that's another episode of Rock Book Show in the Books. Special thanks to Christine Feldman Barrett for taking the time to chat. I had a blast. Look for A Women's History of the Beatles from Bloomsbury Academic Press. And find Christine on Twitter. She's at Feldman Barrett. If you enjoyed this one, we hope you'll subscribe to our show and tell your rock book loving friends. We're dropping new episodes every two weeks, and we've got a great slate of guests scheduled for future shows. 
And follow us at Rockbook Show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more chat about great rock books. Our theme music is by Dash Coons. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>